Section four of the Princess and Curdie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. The Princess and Curdie by George MacDonald. Chapters four to five. Chapter four. Curdie's father and mother. The eyes of the fathers and mothers are quick to read their children's looks, and when Curdie entered the cottage, his parents saw at once that something unusual had taken place. When he said to his mother, I beg your pardon for being so late, there was something in the tone beyond the politeness that went to her heart, for it seemed to come from the place where all lovely things were born, before they began to grow in this world. When he set his father's chair to the table, an attention he had not shown him for a long time, Peter thanked him with more gratitude than the boy had ever yet felt in all his life. It was a small thing to do for the man who had been serving him ever since he was born, but I suspect there is nothing a man can be so grateful for as that to which he has the most right. There was a change upon Curdie and father and mother felt there must be something to account for it, and therefore were pretty sure he had something to tell them. For when a child's heart is all right, it is not likely he will want to keep anything from his parents. But the story of the evening was too solemn for Curdie to come out with all at once. He must wait until they had had their porridge, and the affairs of this world were over for the day. But when they were seated on the grassy bank of the brook that went so sweetly blundering over the great stones of its rocky channel, for the whole meadow lay on top of a huge rock, then he felt that the right hour had come for sharing with them the wonderful things that had come to him. It was perhaps the loveliest of all hours in the year. The summer was young and soft, and this was the warmest evening they had yet had. Dusky, dark even below, while above, the stars were bright and large and sharp in the blackest blue sky. The night came close around them, clasping them in one universal arm of love, and although it neither spoke nor smiled, seemed all eye and ear, seemed to see and hear and know everything they said and did. It is a way the night has sometimes, and there is a reason for it. The only sound was that of the brook, for there was no wind, and no trees for it to make its music upon, if there had been. For the cottage was high up on the mountain, on a great shoulder of stone where trees would not grow. There, to the accompaniment of the water, as it hurried down to the valley and the sea, talking busily of a thousand true things which it could not understand, Curdie told his tale, outside and in, to his father and mother. What a world had slipped in between the mouth of the mine and his mother's cottage. Neither of them said a word until he had ended. Now, what am I to make of it, mother? It's so strange, he said, and stopped. It's easy enough to see what Curdie has got to make of it, isn't it, Peter? said the good woman, turning her face toward all she could see of her husband's. It seems so to me, answered Peter with a smile which only the knight saw, but his wife felt in the tone of his words. They were the happiest couple in that country, because they always understood each other, 
and that was because they always meant the same thing, and that was because they always loved what was fair and true and right better, not than anything else, but than everything else put together. Then will you tell Curdie? said she. You can talk best, Joan, said he. You tell him, and I will listen, and learn how to say what I think, he added. I, said Curdie, don't know what to think. It does not matter so much, said his mother. If only you know what to make of a thing, you'll know soon enough what to think of it. Now, I needn't tell you, surely, Curdie, what you've got to do with this. I suppose you mean, mother, answered Curdie, that I must do as the old lady told me. That is what I mean. What else could it be? Am I not right, Peter? Quite right, Joan, answered Peter, so far as my judgment goes. It's a very strange story, but you see the question is not about believing it, for Curdie knows what came to him. And you remember, Curdie, said his mother, that when the princess took you up that tower once before, and talked to her great-great-grandmother, you came home quite angry with her, and said there was nothing in that place but an old tub, a heap of straw. Oh, I remember your inventory quite well. An old tub, a heap of straw, a withered apple, and a sunbeam. According to your eyes, that was all there was in the great old musty garret. But now you've had a glimpse of the old princess herself. Yes, mother, I did see her. Or, if I didn't, said Curdie very thoughtfully, then began again. The hardest thing to believe, though I saw it with my own eyes, was when the thin, filmy creature that seemed almost to float about in the moonlight, like a bit of the silvery paper they put over pictures, or like a handkerchief made of spider threads, took my hand and rose up. She was taller and stronger than you, mother, ever so much. At least... She looked so. And most certainly was so, Curdie, if she looked so, said Mrs. Peterson. Well, I confess, returned her son, that one thing, if there were no other, would make me doubt whether I was not dreaming after all. Wide awake though I fancied myself to be. Of course, answered his mother, it is not for me to say whether you are dreaming or not, if you are doubtful of it yourself. "'But it doesn't make me think I am dreaming when, "'in the summer I hold in my hand the bunch of sweet peas "'that make my heart glad with their colour and scent, "'and remember the dry, withered-looking little thing "'I dibbled into the hole in the same spot in the spring. "'I only think how wonderful and lovely it all is. "'It just seems as full of reason as it is of wonder. "'How it is done I can't tell, only there it is. "'And there is this in it too, Curdie.' "'of which you would not be so ready to think. "'That when you come home to your father and mother, "'and they find you behaving more like a dear good son "'than you have behaved for in a long time, "'they at least are not likely to think you were only dreaming.' "'Still,' said Curdie, looking a little ashamed, "'I might have dreamed my duty.' "'Then dream often, my son, "'for there must then be more truth in your dreams "'than in your waking thoughts.' But, however any of these things may be, this one point remains certain. There can be no harm in doing as she told you. And, indeed, until you are sure there is no such person, you are bound to do it, for you promised. It seems to me, said his father, 
that if a lady comes to you in a dream, Curdie, and tells you not to talk about her when you wake, the least you can do is to hold your tongue. True, father. Yes, mother, I'll do it, said Curdie. Then they went to bed and sleep, which is the night of the soul, next took them in its arms and made them well. CHAPTER Five: THE MINERS It much increased Curdie's feeling of the strangeness of the whole affair, that, the next morning, when they were at work in the mine, the party of which he and his father were two, just as if they had known what had happened to him the night before, began talking about all manner of wonderful tales that were abroad in the country, chiefly, of course, those connected with the mines and the mountains in which they lay. Their wives and mothers and grandmothers were their chief authorities. For when they sat by their firesides, they heard their wives telling their children the selfsame tales, with little differences, and here and there one they had not heard before, which they had heard their mothers and grandmothers telling one or other of the same cottages. At length they came to speak of a certain strange being they called Old Mother Wotherwop. Some said their wives had seen her. It appeared, as they talked, that not one had seen her more than once. Some of their mothers and grandmothers, however, had seen her also, and they had told them tales about her when they were children. They said she could take any shape she liked, but that, in reality, she was a withered old woman, so old and so withered that she was as thin as a sieve with a lamp behind it, that she was never seen except at night and when something terrible had taken place, or was going to take place, such as the falling in of the roof of a mine, or the breaking out of water in it. She had more than once been seen, it was always at night, beside some well, sitting on the brink of it, and leaning over and stirring it with her forefinger, which was six times as long as any of the rest. And whoever for months after drank of that well was sure to be ill, to this, one of them, however, added that he remembered his mother saying that whoever in bad health drank of the well was sure to get better. But the majority agreed that the former was the right version of the story, for was she not a witch, an old hating witch, whose delight was to do mischief? One said he had heard that she took the shape of a young woman sometimes, as beautiful as an angel, and then was the most dangerous of all for she struck every man who looked upon her stone blind. Peter ventured the question, whether she might not as likely be an angel that took the form of an old woman, as an old woman that took the form of an angel. But nobody except Curdie, who was holding his peace with all his might, saw any sense in the question. They said an old woman might be very glad to make herself look like a young one, but who ever heard of a young and beautiful one making herself look old and ugly? Peter asked why they were so much more ready to believe the bad that was said of her than the good. They answered, because she was bad. He asked why they believed her to be bad, and they answered, because she did bad things. When he asked how they knew that, they said, because she was a bad creature. Even if they didn't know it, they said, a woman like that was so much more likely to be bad than good. Why did she go about at night? Why did she appear only now and then, and on such occasions? One went on to tell how one night, when his grandfather had been having a jolly time of it with his friends in the market town, 
she had served him so upon his way home, that the poor man never drank a drop of anything stronger than water after it, to the day of his death. She dragged him into a bog, and tumbled him up and down in it till he was nearly dead. "'I suppose that was her way of teaching him what a good thing water was,' said Peter. But the man, who liked strong drink, did not see the joke. "'They do say,' said another, "'that she has lived in the old house over there ever since the little princess left it. They say, too, that the housekeeper knows all about it, and is hand and glove with the old witch. I don't doubt they have many a nice airing together on broomsticks. But I don't doubt either it's all nonsense, and there's no such person at all. When our cow died, said another, she was seen going round and round the cow-house the same night. To be sure, she left a fine calf behind her. I mean the cow did, not the witch. I wonder she didn't kill that, too, for she'll be a far finer cow than ever her mother was. My old woman came upon her one night, not long before the water broke out in the mine, sitting on a stone on the hillside with a whole congregation of cobs about her. When they saw my wife, they all scampered off as fast as they could run, and where the witch was sitting there was nothing to be seen but a withered bracken bush. I may no doubt myself she was putting them up to it. And so they went on, with one foolish tale after another, while Peter put in a word now and then and Curdie diligently held his peace. But his silence at last drew attention upon it, and one of them said, "'Come on, young Curdie, what are you thinking of?' "'How do you know I'm thinking of anything?' asked Curdie. "'Because you're not saying anything.' "'Does it follow, then, that, as you are saying so much, you're not thinking at all?' said Curdie. "'I know what he's thinking,' said one who had not yet spoken." "'He's thinking what a set of fools you are to talk such rubbish. "'As if ever there was or could be such an old woman as you say. "'I'm sure Curdie knows better than all that comes to.' "'I think,' said Curdie, "'it would be better that he who says anything about her "'should be quite sure it is true, "'lest she should hear him, and not like to be slandered.' "'But would she like it any better if it were true?' "'said the same man. "'If she is what they say, I don't know.' "'but I never knew a man that wouldn't go into a rage "'to be called the very thing he was.' "'If bad things are true of her, and I knew it,' said Curdie, "'I would not hesitate to say them, "'for I'll never give in to being afraid of anything that's bad. "'I suspect that the things they tell, however, "'if we knew all about them, "'would turn out to have nothing but good in them. "'And I won't say a word more, "'for fear I should say something that mightn't be to her mind.' "'They all burst into a loud laugh.' "'Here, the parson!' they cried. "'He believes in the witch. Ha-ha! "'He's afraid of her, and says all she does is good. "'He wants to make friends with her, "'that she may help him to find the silver ore. "'Give me my own eyes and a good divining-rod "'before all the witches in the world. "'And so I'd advise you too, Master Curdie. "'That is, when your eyes have grown to be worth anything, "'and you have learned to cut the hazel fork.' "'Thus they all mocked and jeered at him, "'but he did his best to keep his temper.' "'and go quietly on with his work. "'He got as close to his father as he could, however, "'for that helped him to bear it. "'As soon as they were tired of laughing and mocking, "'Curdie was friendly with them, "'and long before their midday meal, "'all between them was as it had been. "'But when the evening came, "'Peter and Curdie felt that they would rather walk home together "'without other company, 
and therefore lingered behind when the rest of the men left the mine. End of section 4